No elected official scares mainstream media more than my guest today. Yeah. I mean, Donald Trump was the devil, which makes my guest today worse than the devil. The whirlwind uh, started in 2018 when he was elected governor of the third most populous state in the U.S., a margin of just 32,000 votes, hardly what pundits would call a mandate for sweeping policy changes. But then a once in a century pandemic hits and he dared to question the lockdown policies of the D.C. establishment aired on the side of maintaining freedom for the people of his state. Very risky. But this immediately put him right in the crosshairs of the national media who wanted to make them their new favorite, you know, uh, grandma killer monster. CBS even fabricated a story about him on 60 Minutes and never to this day has retracted it. Even when Democrats point out the lie, doesn't matter, but it's okay. They can lie because he's a Republican governor. Then he goes on a streak of common sense reforms that draw the ire of left wing forces from teachers unions to banks to the Walt Disney Company. And all of that is on top of him trying to help his wife with her battle of cancer and guiding his state's recovery from one of the most devastating hurricanes in history. Meanwhile, outlets like MSNBC keep labeling him dangerous. Yeah, Mitt Romney was too. And actually i would label mitt romney dangerous now anyway despite the media's very best effort he runs for re-election last fall he wins by 19 points that is the largest raw vote margin of victory in his state's history these are the adventures of ron DeSantis, the swashbuckling governor of florida we had to pay errol flynn for the use of that word swashbuckler um, he crammed a ton of action into his first term in, op- uh, in uh, office, but talking with him, you get the distinct feeling that he's just getting started. Today, please welcome Governor Ron DeSantis. Before we get started, I want you to listen to something. Nobody thinks that I can take their house and borrow against the house. Oh, no, I have title insurance for that. No, it's in my name. Or he would have to get some special document. They would call me. You know, nobody's calling you. After I've stolen the title, borrowed against it, or sold the property, or done whatever I've done with it, it's 60 to 90 days to even figure out that they're the victim of this crime. You know, by that point, you start getting foreclosure notices, and you realize you've got four mortgages on your house. Not only that, you don't even own your home anymore. It's not even in your name. Wow, that guy sounds super friendly, doesn't he? He got caught forging and refiling people's home titles. Lots of others who have uh, done this haven't been caught yet. Home title fraud is on the rise in this country, and neither your standard identity theft programs nor your homeowner's insurance protects you from any of this. Mm -hmm. That's why you should choose Home Title Lock. You might already be a victim and not know it. Just find out and just lock this stuff up so you can take it off your plate. HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Get a free title scan with sign up. It's like a $100 value. Get it for free. HomeTitleLock.com. Make sure you use the promo code BECK. Ronald Reagan said that... Everybody has their own time. He said, I, I didn't change. You know, I was the same guy with, with Goldwater. He said, but it, it's like you just kind of, time goes on, you just slot in, and then you pop back out, and your time has passed. Um, you think your time, you're slotting in now? Well, I think, you know, you look, Glenn, like the last five years for me being governor. Had I been like a U.S. senator or something else, I would not have been able Correct. to do the things I've done yeah. or get the, get the notoriety that I've done. People in other states probably wouldn't know who the heck I was. Right. I was put, you know, God put me in a position to be at the helm of the third largest state at age 40, youngest governor in the country. Right. And, you know, we had a lot of good things going for us. We did a lot of good things. Then COVID hits, then all this other stuff with, with cultural Marxism is, 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 is attacking our families. And I'm standing up against that, saying up at Disney. So, you know, you're in positions 
to lead and some people do and some people don't and right. I think that I've been able to, to lead under difficult circumstances in a way that I think people appreciate. So you went to Congress, you were a congressman for a while and um, kind of a Tea Party kind of guy. Would you consider yourself a Tea Party? Yeah, I mean, I was the founder of the Freedom yeah. Company. We were anti-establishment. Yeah. Right. You know, we wanted to overturn the D.C. order and really bring fundamental change. I know you were involved in that. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was tough. What happened? It was tough. What, what happened? Because there was a time period, and I, I see it differently now. There was a time period where I thought all of that was a waste. It didn't, nothing. And I don't think so. I think we planted early seeds, and you're seeing it a much more mature um, kind of approach to it now, much more wise too. Well, I think what happened, so, so the 2010, I was not in then. I got in in 2012, so I was right. in there for three terms. I think the 2010 was a massive wave, but I think that the wave just was got ahead of the D.C. Republicans. They didn't know what to do with it. And I think they decided that the way they wanted to govern the insiders is to focus more on batting back our own base rather than trying Correct. to harness the energy from our base to take down Obama and to beat Obama. And I think that led, that so, so, uh, sowed the seeds for Trump being able to win the nomination. Oh, yeah. oh, People yeah. were so frustrated with the D.C. Republicans. Nothing was changing and they wanted something more dramatic. Uh, but I agree with you. I think a lot of the people that got into politics then on the grassroots level uh, are still some of the people that yeah. are really making a difference yeah. now. And even the next generation is coming. But it, um, you still see the same kind of problems. And we're going to get to Florida here in a second. But um, I want to kind of take it chronologically uh, with you. The, the D.C. politics, the, the GOP still doesn't seem to really understand. I think we are, we are in a, a time period where in our lifetime, and maybe very soon, we could see the collapse of this country if we're not careful and wise. And there's so many people that just in politics in Washington that either don't see it or they're so arrogant that they just think, ah, we, we're doing it. Uh, or it's or they're part of the problem. Well, just think about we're in Texas, right? I'm from yeah. Florida. If it wasn't for Florida and Texas in this country yeah. and some of the other reds, where would we be? Right. I mean, you know, we, we would be California writ large. Yes. We'd be suffering under the cloak of, of woke ideology and America as we know it w would be gone. I think the challenge for us, and I think the people inside D.C. just don't don't see kind of where the battle lines are, is, um, you know, we're very much in a post-constitutional era. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a bureaucracy that's running totally amok. Uh, it's been weaponized against fact actions of society it doesn't like. It is not accountable to the electorate. I mean, we had an election in 2016 where president was elected, Republican president, Trump, Trump's elected, and the government decided that they didn't want to accept the results of the election. And so I think like if you look back in the past when we were fighting big government like under Ronald Reagan, you know, yeah, government was a problem, this but the way different. it's different. And mm -hmm. I think it does call into question who mm -hmm. governs. Uh, yeah. Are we governing according to what the founding fathers envisioned or are we in this this era in which, you know, the elites are going to get their way one yeah. way or another. And that's really the central fight. It was 2003, I think. I went to the White House. I met with George W. Bush. And um, uh, I said, you know, we, we were starting to be mired up in, the, in Iraq and everything else. And I said, Mr. President, he spoke very frankly with me off the record. And I said, where is this guy? Where's this guy? You know, this just speaking and saying this is what it is. And he talked about the responsibilities of a president. And then he said, I said, what what happens here with the next guy? And he said, don't worry. The next guy that gets in, he said, he's going to sit in this chair and he's going to have most of the same people advise and they will realize the president's hands are tied. He's got to go down this road. And he said that to kind of comfort me. And I was freaked out by him. Like, well, then what good are you? What good is any president if the same people are just running things? Yeah. And I mean, you know, Article two invest the executive power in that elected president. They don't invest they don't invest it in the permanent bureaucracy. But yet this has been able to really consolidate. Why is it consolidated, though? 
Congress has abdicated its responsibility. They're supposed to make laws. What do they do? They kind of do suggestions and tell the bureaucracy to figure it out. Well, that's a transfer of power from the American people to unelected bureaucrats. How do they handle their most potent weapon, what James Madison said is the most potent, the power of the purse? They pass continuing resolutions to keep the government going on autopilot. Okay, well, if you have the FBI where there's malfeasance there, you're not holding them accountable by continuing the gravy train to them. If there's abuse of government, the way to do it is to have the House of Representatives stop funding the abuses. They have never been willing to do that for our really my entire adult lifetime. And so the government just keeps going on autopilot and the founders would have said it's human. It's you know the deep state's not a conspiracy. It's the natural human nature. It's the logical culmination of human nature without constitutional constraints or accountability. Of course, you're going to have a consolidation of power. And then I think what's happened in our country because the universities are churning out people that have the same kind of philosophical bent. Um, they're all gravitating to be in D.C. That's why you'd have D.C. is the most democratic jurisdiction in the country. Ninety-five percent to five in the 2020 election and it raises huge implications for whether we're self-governing people. So, but we, I don't think our founders saw one of the branches just ceding their power to the other. The opposite. I mean, you right, know, yeah. Federalist 51, ambition must be made to counteract ambition. Correct. You're the president. I'm in the legislature. You're going to try to increase your power. I'm going to be very jealous of that. And I'm going to push back because I don't want my branch to be subservient to Correct. you. But that's not what's happened. And why is that? I think it's because it's easier for them to remain in office to pass the buck. Yeah. Because when you have They're to make blamed. when you have to make big decisions, there's going to be some people that like it, but Correct. there's going to be other people that don't like it. And so I think the inertia of okay, their number one goal is to remain in office, and so they're fine giving away their power as long as they get to be nominal members of the legislature right. in perpetuity. That's not the way uh, the system's supposed to operate. Okay, so you you leave uh, Congress before before you leave Congress, you're there on the baseball field because you're a good baseball player. Yeah, um, you're on the baseball field the day of the shooting. Tell me a little bit about that. So a lot of people, uh, I guess, don't appreciate like the, the members of Congress. They take this baseball game very seriously. Oh, I know. So, so it's a charity game every year. They play it at Washington Nationals Stadium, and it is hardball. It is ba- now they're not throwing you know very yeah. hard, but it is what it is. And so uh, we're, they would practice for like six weeks leading into it. And, you know, I, uh, I, I played sometimes, sometimes I didn't. But, but anyway, so we're, we're there. So the, the day before the game, we have practice. And I'm at third base. Uh, Jeff Duncan from South Carolina congressman was at shortstop. He, he drove me, his aide drove me and Jeff to the field. We had already taken batting practice. We're just shagging balls. And I just, I didn't want to get caught in traffic that day. So I told Jeff, why don't we just get out of here early, beat some traffic? He's like, okay. So we went, we walked, took off our spikes, walked to the car. Some guy stops, Jeff and I, and he asks Jeff, he's like, are those the Republicans or are those the Democrats? And Jeff's like, that's the Republican congressional baseball team. The guy's like, okay, turned around. He starts walking towards the third base side of the field, you know, outside where the stands are. We get in the car, we leave. I get to Capitol Hill, turn on, I'm in the gym showering, getting ready to shower. The shooting at the, the baseball field is there. So what he did, he went to his van. He pulled out a rifle and a pistol. He sat, he, he set up right on the third base side of the dugout and started shooting. So, so Jeff and I would have been number one in the line of fire had we stayed for probably five, mm-hmm. five or seven more minutes. Uh, as it was, he's shooting and he shot Steve Scalise, who was playing second base. Ten minutes before Scalise was shot, I'm fielding ground balls and throwing double plays to Scalise at second base. And then 10 minutes later, so um, the, the only reason there wasn't a big massacre that day is because Scalise was a member of the Republican leadership. He got a Capitol Police detail because of that. So we had Capitol Police officers there, not because any other member, just because of Steve. So they started engaging and they ended up shooting and killing this guy. So he shot a few people. Scalise was the only congressman that got shot, but he would have had free reign for the whole thing. And this was a guy... So as soon as we we we, we saw, uh, people started to try to figure out who it was. And a guy had a Twitter account, and he was a raging leftist. And we saw his picture. I showed it to Duncan. I'm like, that's the guy. Jeff's like, that's the guy. And it was clearly politically motivated. And, you know, one of the things that happened was the media, they tried to just totally ignore that. I mean, just think it. about it. If there was somebody 
who once listened to your show who did anything, poli- mm-hmm. they would be all over all you, over. telling yeah. your advertise, all this stuff. Instead, this was the, a clearly politically motivated assassination attempt, and they basically just buried it. And the FBI said, initially, it was not something that was politically motivated. It was death by, suicide by, by cop. cop. I mean, how outrageous is this? And so, you know, it was the type of thing where, you know, you see that, and, you, and, I, and I just thought, okay, you know, my, my life would have been different maybe if I had been out there for 10 more minutes. And that's not something you typically think about, but, I mean, it was a pretty close call. The press, is there any, how, how does this turn around? I mean, CBS did 60 Minutes. They've never corrected it. It was bald-faced lie. Um, to, to my knowledge, they've never even apologized for it. They tried to defend it. I mean, you know, they, they, they tried to defend it from other angles, and they did acknowledge that they kind of, or at least tacitly acknowledge that they got, they got caught red-handed. But um, I think it's just arrogance. I think that they believe that, look, if they put out something false, yes, people like you and me aren't going to believe it because mm-hmm. we're on to them, but there may be a segment of people that believe it. It's and getting so, smaller and smaller. And, yeah, it is. And so, but I think what's happened is because they keep doing this, they lose credibility and lose trust more and more. So they're playing for a smaller audience that will actually believe what they say. I think a good example of this is like, just think about the last few years in Florida. I mean, they did all oh they gosh. could to, to demonize me in COVID. They were acting like we're a COVID wasteland. How reckless to have kids in school, businesses You're open. a chief grandma killer. And, and yet, what? how did the American people respond to that? They responded by visiting Florida on record numbers mm. and moving to Florida on record numbers. So that tells me that what they're doing just isn't working. And in fact, the 60 Minutes, you know, we looked into see like the defamation it's very difficult for someone mm-hmm. like me to do it but the reason why i mean two reasons one i'm governor i can't be getting involved in litigation but two is like i couldn't show damages it benefited me because it was so obvious that they wanted they were they're threatened by me and my success in florida and they wanted to try something to mud to to, to, to rough me up and they really face planted so i'd go in and say wait a minute you know i'm better known now and more people probably support me now but i think it's just there's got to be a recognition on the financial incentives on some of this stuff, because mm-hmm. if you were to pivot some, you know, there is a bigger market to be able to oh. be had. I think the problem, though, is because I've talked to like heads of corporations who oversee some of these news channels and, and they, they understand. But I think part of the problem is it's like the inmates run the asylum there. Oh, yeah. If you wanted to move CNN or NBC to center or even maybe even like throw us a bone once mm-hmm. in a while, you'd have to fire the entire company because they're all wired. They're getting into media because they want to change policy. They want to impose their Mm -hmm. views on the rest of us, but they know they couldn't get elected to anything. So they're not going to be able to do that. So this is a way for them uh, to be able to have some power over what's going on in society. So it's very difficult to see how you do. But here's just fine. I mean, during COVID, so like, you know, Disney World is open in Florida. Disneyland is closed in California. Universal's open in, in Orlando. It's closed in California. And, you know, these executives are like, Florida's doing it right. California's doing it wrong. It's a disaster. They're all saying this. They're telling me this privately. And yet their news arms of those companies are reporting just the opposite. Right. They're saying how bad Florida is and how good California is. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is your own company. You guys who over, you're acknowledging the truth and and yet you have news organizations that are putting out things that are contrary to what you yourselves are saying are the, are the facts. There is only one thing that I like that is progressive. Because I think progressives are destroying everything except the eyeglasses. But somehow or another, I don't think Theodore Roosevelt had anything to do with progressive eyeglasses. I use Rodenstock glasses from Better Spectacles Now. Better Spectacles Now is a conservative American company who is now offering exclusively Rodenstock eyewear for the first time in the U.S. Now, oh, Rodenstock, I guess that's important. Actually, it is. It's a 144-year-old German company that is uh, really considered to be the world's gold standard for glasses. Rodenstock scientists use biometric research to measure the eye in over 7,000 points. And they've taken the findings from over a million patients and combined that with artificial intelligence. And the result is a biometric intelligence glasses or big glasses, which gives you a seamless and natural experience no matter where you're looking um, in your glasses. 
it works perfectly as your um, your brain is wired the same way and it improves your vision sharpness at all distances, including up to 40 percent better at near and intermediate distance, as well as providing you with better night vision. Right now, oh, I can see what you're wearing. That's how good these are. Betterspectacles.com slash Beck. Go there now, schedule a tele-optical appointment. You don't even have to leave the comfort of your home. Offering an introductory 61% off their progressive eyewear, plus free handcrafted rodent stock frames. Don't mess around with your eyesight. Go to betterspectacles.com slash Beck. I remember when you um, and you talk about it in the book, and it is fascinating, um, the decision to to open the state up. And I remember my wife and I prayed for you (laughs) at night because that was extraordinarily risky. I mean, we we can't forget. That's why I give people at the very beginning a pass. I don't care. You were for masks. You were for closing everything down at the very beginning. They were welding people in their homes in China. We had no idea what was coming our way. But even when you said go, it wasn't clear that that was the right move. Um, just medically speaking, wasn't clear it was the right move. And I remember praying for you going, Lord, give him strength and please uh, advice because this could go horribly wrong i was thrilled that you did it it was unpopular though I but mean, i'm glad i didn't have to make the decision it was un- it was unpopular yes. i mean i think part of the problem was there was data and evidence supporting what i was doing but it was getting no play, no play. with the me they had their narrative and that's just what they were going to do so i talk about it a little bit in the book we all got models from these epidemiologists, every governor did, and yeah. the White House was looking at them too, about the hospitalization yeah. spikes that were going to happen. And they were projecting, I mean, horrific, horrific death because we wouldn't have enough hospital beds to care for almost Correct. any patient other than COVID. Correct. And so it's like, okay, you know, you either need to, you know, to separate and, and not have, uh, you know, groups getting together to, to reduce the spread, or you're going to have some, and, you know, in Florida, I'm sitting here, third largest state. We're an international hub. Yeah. We're a domestic tourism hub. And, and I've you got have elderly. I've got senior citizens. Mm-hmm. I've got almost 4,000 long-term care facilities. I've got elderly lined up in condos all across the coast, particularly in southern Florida. So this was an existential threat to our state in terms of something that's affecting elderly people. But you looked at those models, and, and they were just grievously wrong. And I'm following it to the day. I mean, like, I'm looking to see what they're predicting for Florida and I'm seeing it's much less, and then I'm seeing it's much less. And so this is like late March, early April, 2020. Uh, you also had people like Bhattacharya from Stanford that are looking at the antibodies. Well, it turns out a lot of these people had antibodies. That means it had spread far enough that doing this indefinitely was just not gonna work. It was also mattered that it also meant that it was not as lethal as we initially feared mm-hmm. because whatever's testing positive, there's way more people who had it, therefore the death rate mm-hmm. was lower. So we looked at all those, and then I was just concerned about the toll. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, take two weeks off from school or whatever. That's not, that's not great, but it's, but to just say different. And I think the thing that really gave me the determination was Fauci came out in, in sometime in April of 2020 and he was asked, well, when can people open? And he's like, when there's no cases and no deaths, that means that changes it from slow the spread for a few weeks Mm -hmm. to all of a sudden lockdown until when? Because you're never going to get to that point. So basically what Fauci was saying, the default posture of the United States needed to be locked down. And that was unacceptable to me. So I was like, okay, we're going to do this. And so we worked on all that. And particularly with the schools was very important and the businesses. And you know what happened was as we got into June, people were like, you know what? They, they didn't admit it publicly. Like, you know, maybe the governor was right. Things seem to be going good. But then the South, you know, we get some, we got a summer wave of COVID. That's just the way it was. So we get hit with the way, and the media is like, DeSantis See? caused it. He's reckless, opening the state. Right. This is all his fault. But you know, I knew that that wasn't the reason because I had looked to see the different charts of how the waves had been in other parts of the world. 
whether you lock down or not, it was a six to eight week cycle yep. and then it would move. Now, we didn't appreciate at the time just how sharply seasonal this was. I started to say that like nine months in and me, like, oh, just saying it's saying it's seasonal. Now they all admit it's seasonal, but it was obvious because it was happening. So I was in a situation where Fauci saying to shut down. I had every Democrat member of Congress from Florida write me a letter saying, you're killing people. You're reckless. You need to shut down this state. You can't have kids in school. All that in July. You can't be in your position with the data that you have but still if you're human you still had to have lingering doubt did you at any point did you look and go god i mean i i really think i'm right but gosh what if i'm wrong yeah i i mean you know you clearly i mean i had humility in all this um humility i mean you know i'm just a governor i mean i'm working on the data and i i got into it and i ended up i mean by the charging some guys say desantis knew the data more than a lot of the doctors did because mm-hmm. actually doing it um you know i started to get a lot of supporters you know friends like long term to call me he's like man you are you're getting killed you need to do something different. You know, you need to mandate masks. You need to do, just do a two week shutdown. Just do something. You know, the kid, the parents, you know, the grandparents are upset about the kids going back to school soon. And, you know, I was just like, look, I was like, um, uh, I think that would be harmful to do everything you're telling me. Uh, it may be beneficial for me in the short term politically. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've dug myself a hole politically that I don't recover from. It is possible, but my job is to defend the jobs and the well-being of the people that I represent. I can't be worried about my own job uh, over that. And so I basically said, let's let the political chips fall where they may. Uh, I'm going to stick with it. And so basically we held firm. The wave passed. And then as we started to get into August, early September, people are like, you know what? Maybe Florida was right, because at that point, they said the only way COVID curve will bend down is a lockdown. Right. If you don't do it, it's just exponential growth Correct. infinitum. And, and we showed, because I saw what happened in Sweden and other parts of the world, that that wasn't true. So then once we got over that, um, a lot of Floridians started to get confidence, because mm-hmm. I think like w- w- the first you know couple months of it, what I was doing was not popular. And, and I was po- popular going into COVID. It was not popular. The schools were very unpopular, because the elderly, you know, they were were scared yeah, yeah, yeah. and they thought the schools would lead to more and i knew that wasn't the case and so we did but then as we got over then all of a sudden it's like people are like ready the state started to boom people started coming down and we were really off to the races um, at that point but i would say you know that was really a critical juncture and i think had i caved or or buckled there i think the the future of the state would have been dramatically different oh yes and and possibly the the future of the country the country because yeah. i think we really because i took all the abuse that made it easier for other people to follow in yeah. our path at that point are you guys out of state of emergency oh yeah 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 and the only reason Texas so, is not yeah. i just talked to yeah. the freedom caucus yesterday when are we going to get out of this and actually the, it, what, what we did so we did the state of emergency for about a year the only reason i kept it is because the i used the state of emergency to force the schools open so i had to get through that first school year to ensure that all schools in florida would be open i probably would not have been able to do that absent at the state of emergency mm. so that was our leverage because I, I i can control money basically state of emergency allows you to move money around a little mm. bit more so we did that it also allowed me to overrule local governments and particularly some of the liberal governments and say you're not going to be penalizing people for masks no business closures we we set that down and I needed the state of emergency mm-hmm. to do that. Then the legislature came in the next spring and we made these these protections permanent. And we actually I asked them, I said, do a bill to rein in the governor's executive emergency powers and to rein in local governments. And so Florida actually has constricted the powers. You know, one of the crazy things about this, and you'd appreciate it. It was almost not questioned in American history that these local governments have like these massive health health oh, problems, like emergency health problems. Yeah. And and I'm just like, OK, you know, it's like but I couldn't find. So I was one of my concerns when I'm fighting back against this. I was afraid I was going to lose in court on some of this. The law was not great on it. But I think what happened was I was strategic. And when I was pulling these levers so that when I would do it, you know, I had like a lot of business guys excited, people going back to work. And it made it harder for a county mm-hmm. to try to sue me to basically throw people out of their jobs. And so we were able to get through that. And I never lost a case uh, in all the things that I was doing. Did um, you talk about this in the book with uh, with Burks? And it's a little terrifying when she said, well, this is kind of just our little science experiment. Very much so. Can you can you tell that story? 
So the the white the White House task force was hammering me for like the first like really like three months because they wanted me to be uh, you know clamping down harder and um, and and she you know so and she was so I so I called I was like Deborah just tell me when in American history model has this been done and what were the results? Because like, I kind of feel like, you know, we're flying blind here and we may be doing things that could be damaging. And as she said, she's like, you know, it's kind of our own science experiment that we're doing in real time. And that didn't sit well with me. No. I mean, you know, you're a citizen of a Republic. You're not a Guinea pig. And so, uh, what I think that that there's a whole bunch of other things I talk about in the book. You remember the, um, George Floyd riots, yeah, when yeah, the yeah. epidemiologist, yeah. because people were saying, You've been telling people to you have in. to stay in your home. And like in Florida, they were killing us because even in those early days, you know, when we were following federal guidelines loosely, but we were following some, we were playing golf. I mean, the villages, they're, sure. they're setting record for golf. People are boating, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. They were so mad at Florida for doing that. People on the beach, all this stuff. That was their position. You are killing people if you leave your house. So then all these people are like thousands of people are protesting. 2000 of these epidemiologists write a letter saying, we do not condemn these protests uh, because of COVID. Indeed, we think they're vital for public health right. because they're fighting racism. It's a bigger disease yes. than COVID. <laughs> and so that's that's when I knew. Is this that this public health this public health uh, a, a clan of people? They are sick. I mean, they are they are ideologically captured, and these are not people that should be anywhere near the levers of power. So I basically, from that point on, I would exclusively listen to a very handful of people. You know, Bhattacharya from Stanford, Martin Caldor from Harvard, Scott Atlas, uh, Sinetra Gupta from Oxford, and then my Surgeon General, Joe Latipo, we brought in from That's UCLA. Great. Yeah. great. Mm -hmm. But I mean, Joe Latipo to this day is the only Surgeon General, Florida's the only state that has said, don't give MNRA shots to the babies, to the six-month-old babies. There's no evidence that this is anything helpful. And we're basically saying there's no evidence to do it. We don't know what the, what the harms would be. And, and there may be some, but you don't even have to go there. If it's not beneficial to you, don't put it in your arm. I mean, Correct. that's just, we're the only state that's done that. Why? I think some of these other states agree with us, but in that kind of uh, profession, they don't want to buck pharma. They don't want to buck the consensus. And so that was something that, but that letter was very eye-opening because it was just patently absurd. And they actually said in that letter, you can protest for the George Floyd stuff, but you can't protest against lockdowns. Right. So they were drawing a content-based distinction between why you're gathering. <laughs> like, like the virus knows. Oh, oh, It's a woke oh. virus. Come on, you know? I know you work hard for your money. Um, I mean, I don't. I sit here and talk to people like Ron DeSantis, and that's sometimes it's work. It's not not today. But when you have to spend that money, if you're like me, you prefer to spend it on things that are made here in America that are quality. It's it's not just a patriotic thing. It's a quality thing. It's a, it's a save America kind of thing. The things that are made here in America traditionally have lasted longer, work better, set the standard for the rest of the world. That's one of the reasons I like partnering with the companies that I do. And one of those companies that is really on the cutting edge is Grip6. Grip6.com. You're, you're getting the true American experience. And this is what I mean. The product you can count on. Um, let's just take their socks. You buy their socks. You have a great sock. Okay. Um, it's not going to wear out right away. It's, it keeps your feet cold in the uh, winter and warm in the sun. No, reverse that. I felt a little like Willy Wonka. Uh, reverse that. It keep your feet warm in the winter, cold in the summer. Um, exactly the way your socks should work. But beyond all of that, the ranchers here in America, they grow, grow the uh, or raise the specially bred sheep that produce the modern wool. Then you have the American manufacturers who wash the wool, process it. Then you have people who weave that into a sock, and they're fantastic. American business owners who have accepted the risk that comes along with only using American-made products and American labor. Please, check them out. Grip6.com slash Beck. That's Grip6.com slash Beck. American-made. You have done so many uh, things that... At the beginning, you kind of held your breath, at least those of us who watched it, kind of held our breath going, I really agree with this. I hope this is right. Because you were just reestablishing 
a democratic republic. You know what I mean? Uh, you can't do this to your people. Um, and now the results are so clear, just based on the success, the health and the welfare, the economy, everything about Florida is booming. Absolutely booming. Why aren't we? If, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to send these to all 50 governors. I got 50 of them made. <laughs> and I'm not comparing you to the other one that has a band, but it's WWRD. Yeah. What would Ron do? Why are the governors not taking the things that have a clear success record and just mirror them? I don't understand. Just politically, why aren't they doing I, I think, this? I think you're starting to see that, though, Glenn. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons I work so hard for re-election. Because in this business, you have a guy like me. I just want to do what I think is right. And right. I want to be able to look in the mirror and say, I'm fighting for the folks and I'm delivering. And the political calculations just aren't as important to me. I just figure, you know, it'll all work out. But there's a lot of people in this business that are different, you know. And they really want to know what the politics of it. They want to know what that means electorally. Well, we now have a, a record Correct. of that. I came in. Won by 32,000 votes, uh, um, you know, close is one of the closest governor's races, swing state, very, very famous swing state. Nobody says that now. Four years later, we win by 1.5 million votes, almost 20, 20 point victory. And we sweep in super majorities in the legislature, school board, all this other stuff. I mean, we've left the Democratic Party in Florida dead on the side of the road. I mean, this has been a, a major, major realignment. So I think people uh, are now looking and I think they're saying, you know what? This guy's doing this stuff. Yeah, the media has a spasm anytime he does anything. The left has a spasm. But the vast majority of the public thinks this is common sense. And he's speaking to people through that media filter in ways that are effective. So you are seeing now in state capitals. I mean, Texas is going to be doing a lot of the stuff we're doing. I've already talked to some mm -hmm. of the legislators. They're ready to go. Uh, there was an article that said DeSantis's shadow looms over state capitals <laughs> as they reconvene because people are looking Good. at the, they're looking at the Florida model. Model, and they're saying, okay, Florida did this. We need to be doing this too. So I do think you're starting to see it. I think, wait, wait, I, I think in the first, what's, what's crazy is the people who write that, it's not that you are some dictator going against the people. They all want democracy. Floridians love what you're doing. Yes. So why do they have a problem when it's popular with the people all of a sudden? And not only that, they will act like somehow this is a perversion of the system to put an idea in front of the legislature, have them act favorably on it, and me sign it into law Correct. and then execute it. That's how constitutional government works. Right. But they say that that's somehow bad. Meanwhile, Obama and Biden, they do executive orders. They don't even go through the legislature, and the media praises that when they're basically changing society and laws through executive fiat. So they just don't like what we're doing. And here's the thing. We're beating them. That is why they're so upset. We are beating the left in Florida. And I don't think we've had an example uh, in my lifetime where you had a government systematically beat the left across a wider range of issues than we've beat them in the state of Florida. We've beat them in a way that has fundamentally realigned the state and I think has put us on a trajectory to be the leading red state in America for the next 10, 20 years. I will tell you, I'm, I'm again, talking to the Freedom Caucus yesterday, so... Texas. I bet on Texas. Uh, and, you know, my wife and I are looking at a place in Florida. Uh, and uh, I mean, you've done horrible things to the real estate. It's bad <laughs> for people who try to want to move in now. It's uh, the real estate is shot through the roof. Hey, it's bad for my wife and I. We we see we have a young family. So we sold our house, yeah. moved to the governor's mansion and we priced ourselves out. I know. Anything. I know. It's crazy. But I mean, that's good for the people of Florida. Um, but I, I want to address something that you and I talked about um, maybe two years ago. Um, and I want to ask again, I. Our country has a problem that cannot survive just on this system of massive swing this way and then the next guy gets in and it's a massive swing that way it's destructive um, and that's because we are governing by fiat tell me how you are stripping power uh, so you can't or restoring constitutional norms in florida so when you leave because you can't do a third term when you leave 
it doesn't become New York. Well, one of the things I was able to do is uh, we had the most liberal Supreme Court in the country for a long time. And you remember Bush versus Gore was a total circus. I get elected. It's a four to three liberal split by that time. But three of the four liberals had mandatory retirement. So the day I got sworn in, they're off the court. So my first Mm. month in office, I put three conservatives to replace the three liberals. What that has done is that has ended judicial activism in the state of Florida. And all these justices are between like 44 and 50 so they can serve till they're 75 Mm. now some of them may end up on federal courts or whatever but the bottom line is uh that had been one of the biggest biggest impediments in florida that you could win elections you could actually implement policy and a liberal court would serve as a council of revision to basically veto things they didn't like politically there was anything wrong legally so we were able to do that and so i think just having a judiciary that's within its place is a huge huge positive um and so we were able to do that Um, You know, our bureaucracy, it's interesting. Our state's growing. I have needs to be able to bring services for people. And I had to, you know, do a lot more people in this budget. But I'm like, I'm not just going to expand government. So whatever we added, we subtracted from other areas. So we're actually having an, even though the state's growing, a net reduction in people serving in government because Mm -hmm. we're looking to see what do you need and what don't you need? Um, You can't do that in Washington. I mean, you, you go to Washington there are so many laws and rules and you can't fire people, et cetera, et cetera. And do those people work for the president or do they work for the Congress? I mean, they the work for now. Yeah. They, they work for article. They're, they're article two employees. Correct. Right. So why does Congress, why would we need all the congressmen to get together to pass legislation to allow the president to fire his own employees. Here's the thing. I think the idea that somehow you can't do anything at all, uh, we've just accepted that. I think that needs to be challenged. I mean, just think about it. You have some of these, quote, career people. They're making policy decisions. Oh. And somehow... They didn't get elected. They didn't get appointed and somehow they can do it. So there was a, you know, there's a proposal a lot of conservatives want to do, including me for a long time to classify. I think it's about 50,000 in federal employees, classify them as a schedule F because they are involved in policy. They have discretion mm-hmm. schedule F. You serve at the pleasure of the president. Now, that will be challenged, but I think you'd win in this Supreme Court. You would have to. Yes, I think you would. And, and here's the thing, too. I think there's a difference between, you know, if I'm like a supervisor at like a low level and I fire you, you know, maybe you have grievance procedures or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if the president of the United States invokes Article 2 to fire you. I think the founding fathers would have said they have every right to do that because you it, can't insulate somebody because what you're basically doing is you're um, you're putting a check on the American people's decisions correct. about who they're electing. Correct. And that's not the way it's and supposed to work. And they become arrogant. I mean, we saw this in the State Department all the way back to this creation of Israel where they threatened uh, Truman. You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. Well, yes, I am. Uh, And they were determined to take him down. And he had a race to a microphone to be able to announce support. And they they were wrong about that. Correct. And and I talk about in the book that um, when President Trump came in, you know, we were excited about getting the embassy to Jerusalem. And um, and and he and he punted on it at first uh, because he was getting killed by everyone saying, don't do it, don't do it. So I did a trip over there because I oversaw the State Department and the subcommittee I was working on. And I I met with CIA, state, all the people there at the embassy in Tel Aviv. And I asked them, okay, if we move the embassy, what's going to happen? Go around the room. Oh, yeah. telling people, everyone, World War III, World War III, World War III. They all thought that, right? And they believe it. They believe it. Mm-hmm. So you end up having the embassy move. Did we have World War III? No. No, no. And actually, I would argue the embassy, as much as getting out of the Iran deal, set the foundation for the Abraham Accords. Because oh, those, yeah. those Arab countries oh. are looking at it and they're like, they didn't want it moved to Jerusalem. But the fact that other presidents had balked at doing it after they promised it, Mm -hmm. it showed strength Mm -hmm. and they respected the strength. And so, but that's the problem. It's like these people are insulated from accountability and they've just been wrong about so many things. It's like, what's the use? How are they serving our country? Well, Uh, they're just entrenched and they basically have groupthink. And the state department, um, I mean, you had oversight, so you, you probably know this when the president was impeached, I did a almost a year long investigation on just Ukraine. What was happening in Ukraine? And what we found was horrific, horrific. You know, we are 
I mean, it was just another one of the Arab Spring countries in many ways. You know, we're toppling the government. Money is being laundered and lost and everything else. And now we have the same people getting us into this war in Ukraine. And uh, I have to tell you, I, I, uh, I, I am for the people of Ukraine. Okay. Putin is a very bad guy, but I can't find a white hat in this story, except for the people in all three countries. Okay. I think our government is absolutely corrupt. A a hundred billion dollars with nobody looking and going, Hey, can I get a receipt? Okay. In the most corrupt country. Um, And then you have Putin on that side. There's not a good guy around. And yet I feel as though the same people that said World War III um, are almost dying to get us into a war because either they think it, they'll have the opportunity to change the entire system and the entire world, or they just think, you know what, we've wanted to topple him for a long time and they're, they're ripe for the picking. And, and not realizing, because of their arrogance, we are also ripe for the picking. I mean, I think Putin should be looking at us going, this might be uh, their uh, their spring that they did to us. What what we did to them with Gorbachev and Yeltsin, I think they're doing to us right now. And think about what Putin's already done. You know, the backdrop for all this is the Russia collusion hoax and hysteria. Correct. He puts very little. Russia did very little in the election. Again, what they mm. did, like some social media. Yeah. But that was spun up to be some like massive conspiracy. They were trying to act like Putin won the election, mm-hmm. the 2016 election, mm-hmm. and they took a country who look their interests are not aligned with ours. Putin's a bad guy. But the threat to us is orders of magnitude less than China um, represents to us. Yes. But they elevated this as like, you know, that they were about to take over the White House. I remember that Time magazine cover that had the White House half in the Kremlin and the mm-hmm, rest of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was massive hysteria. And I think that's fueled a lot of the stuff that we're seeing now. I mean, how do you do a hundred billion dollars? You're paying s- pensions for people and all this stuff and not one single accounting. And, and the Congress tried. Some of the guys tried to get it in and defense fought back. State fought back. You know, they think that that our taxpayer money is just their, their play like monopoly money that they can just use it however they want to use it. And as a taxpaying citizen, I am fed up. I'm fed up. I mean, I know what I can do and I do a lot of charitable work. I create jobs. I know what I can do with that money. And you are taking that money and just pissing it away. Everything I've paid for my entire life doesn't scratch the surface of what they're spending right now on on anything. And they're doing that while neglecting their core duties at home. They're concerned about foreign borders. They're not concerned about our own border. I mean, how many people have died of drug overdoses uh, in the last year? I think it's a record number. It's like 110,000. Yes. Most of those are fentanyl overdoses. You Which know, we, is the opium war that the British fought against China that China is now using with us. Yes. They're sending it to the Mexican cartels. The car, and then the cartels are making some of their own now and bringing it across. But we have tens of thousands of people dying. This regime does not want to secure the border. They don't do anything to the drug cartels. They put no pressure on Mexico. They're just content to let it happen. Biden brings up the fentanyl deaths from, from the woman uh, the other day, and he's laughing I know. about the fentanyl deaths. Terrible. They also let the communist Chinese fly a, a spy balloon clear across the United States. Not just States. clear across our country, but over, maneuvered over strategic yes. air command. And nobody says anything. If you ever wanted to have fresher, cleaner air in your house, uh, you probably cook fish. Uh, there is a problem. Sometimes you'll just cook things. And have you ever walked into people's houses and you're just like, okay, this smells weird. I hate that. I hate that. And you get so used to your own house, you don't know what it smells like. Well, there is an Eden Pure out on the market. Eden Pure is having their famous buy one, get one on thunderstorm air purifiers. This is what I have in my house, and I have one in my refrigerator. 
And I'm telling you the difference in the refrigerator, the house too, but the refrigerator, because there's some things in there I don't recognize at times. Because uh, I'm in charge sometimes of cleaning out the refrigerator. But uh, it, it's amazing. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm, it completely eliminates any odor. We're talking pets, smoke, pee, cooking, stuff that should have been thrown out in your refrigerator a long time ago. They have a buy one, get one sale this week with over 300,000 Thunderstorm units sold and countless five-star reviews. You know it works, and it works great. People are buying several for around their home as gifts for other people as well. And trust me on this one, if you want the odors to go away, don't cover them up. Purify them. Eden Pure Thunderstorm. Just put one in. Find out about the thunderstorm. Also find out about what you can put in the refrigerator. They're great, all of them. EdenPureDeals.com. That's EdenPureDeals.com. Use the discount code Glenn. Let me show you something. I thought you would appreciate this. This is from Stephen F. Austin. Uh, this is the conditions for the colonization of Texas. And the reason why I brought it in is because I would like a government that treats their their people and their country like Mexico treated their country. So this is from 1825 in his own hand, going to Mexico and saying, we want to open a little colony in Texas. What do we need to do? Number one, no people of ill repute. We need to know who they are. And if they ever change, you must eject them immediately. Number two, Spanish-speaking only schools. You only speak Spanish. Number three, you have to build uh, churches, and they have to be Catholic, Spanish-speaking churches. These guys, there's like 10 different things. They did the things to protect their country, yep. and we went along with it. Where is our country where is anyone in our country on a federal level that gives a crap about our country? I know. I mean, and think about it. What is, how does the left view the border? Remember the Democratic debates in 2020 cycle? They basically say border security, having a wall, enforcing immigration law is racist. They say you're a racist just because you want the rule of law to prevail. And think about it. We've had periods of our country. We've had a lot of immigration, some less. Ellis Island, if you stepped out of line, you're gone. gone. I mean, they had law, they had rules. People came in, either, either abided by it or you didn't. If you didn't fit the criteria, that was the way it is. And we need to reassert our, our right to govern ourselves at the border uh, and in so many other ways. Look, in Florida, we're doing um, some of the stuff with the universities. The, the media is like, oh, my gosh, you're interfering with the universities. No. These are publicly funded institutions. Our taxpayers fund them. Are they accountable or not? If they're accountable, it's through the people uh, as elected representatives. And so Power we're making, of the purse. And we're making sure we have uh, that mission set. But um, we've just gotten away from this idea, you know, that we have a right to make sure that that we're doing things in, in a way that that is reflective of the values of, of the people that sent us to, to office. I don't want to send my kids to college. I mean, I do, but unless it's maybe two or three colleges, why would I pay money to have them destroy all of my work in raising these kids? I, I, and you're not the only one that asked that. And here's the thing, like as a Navy guy, I look at like the service academies have gone woke. I mean, I used to think like you go to the service academies, like unimpeachable, right? There's wokeness that, that, that's crept into right. there even. What we did in Florida, so we're doing a lot overall writ large universities, but we have a small liberal arts college called New College in Sarasota. Most people had never heard of it mm -hmm. prior to me getting involved. And actually some of the people in the lecture, they wanted to close it a couple years ago. I'm like, what is it even doing? I mean, a very <laughs> low enrollment, low mm -hmm. scores. And it is left of the left. I mean, it is basically about ideology and about leftism. That's what the school's about. And so I'm like, you know what? No. So I put six conservatives on the board of trustees. They fired the president. They brought mm -hmm. in a conservative president. They said the mission of this university is going to be to be the number one public classical liberal arts uh, college in America. It's going to be kind of like our Hillsdale College. We gave them $15 million. They're going to be able to recruit professors from all across the country. They've already eliminated their DEI department and DEI programs. And so I think what you're going to see once, once the people see the professors come in, you're going to see a flood of applications. Oh yeah, you will. And there's, and it's interesting. There's professors from all over the country and from very great schools. 
that are asking the trustees, reaching out to some people I pointed saying, can I, can I come? How do I come? Because they're not, my an, guess is, my guess is they're not all conservative. They're not, but they reject this oppressive, Correct. woke environment where if you, it's like you're walking on eggshells. You say one thing yep. and you can get fired. That is not. And, and but it's thing, not only that. Anyone who truly wants to teach and truly wants to learn does not want one side. I want somebody to challenge me. That's how we that's how we learn and grow opposition in all things. So I, I, I mean, I know a lot of classical liberal people. Yeah, that. They believe in that still. One of the things I think that's happened over the last generation is because it's all been about imposing the orthodoxy. I think it's been a disservice to a lot of those liberal students who have graduated because their assumptions are never challenged. And so they don't develop the sharpness of thought uh, that you really want these students to do. They end up getting into corporate America, whatever. There's a lot of group think, uh, but there's not really a lot of really sharp critical thinking. And so we want to make sure we have a situation where we're doing that. Um, But I think that overall writ large, what's the purpose of a university? I think it's the search search for truth. I think it's academic rigor. I think it's to teach kids to think for themselves so they can Mm -hmm. be citizens of our republic. It's not to impose ideology. It's not for political activism. It's not for social justice. So we're making this pivot in Florida and uh, with our money and the appointments and everything and some of the rules we're doing. And I think it's going to be really, really significant. I think other red states are falling. Texas is going to do. They're going to eliminate DEI just just like we did. I think you'll see Tennessee and these others doing it, we have basically gone in a situation, Republicans for generation are like, okay, we need to get elected so we could cut taxes and then just leave everything else alone. Correct. Well, the left has gone in and they're Vacuum. using these institutions to impose their worldview. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying is, wait a minute, these are not the left's institutions. These are the people's institutions. And if the people want to elect leftists to governor and stuff in Florida, then, then maybe the institutions will reflect that. But they're not doing that. They're going the other way. So we have a responsibility to govern accordingly and hold them accountable, set the mission and make sure that they're pursuing the best interests of the state. So um, as you look at all of the problems that you're facing as a state, education is massive. Parental rights, massive. The end of this, this denial of truth, massive. But the other thing that the, the left and people didn't see it coming, and it, I started talking about it three, four years ago, and even I thought five years ago, it, that sounds like a conspiracy theory. That just can't be true. The ESG and the Great Reset and the media smeared everybody, said that you're, you're crazy, that's not happening we're seeing it happen now in real time, and much worse is coming. Are we winning? Are we making a dent because of states like yours? We are. I mean, I don't think there's any question. I mean, you look at all these things. We're slaying it all. ESG, we're slaying that. Uh, the DEI stuff, critical race theory, we're slaying that. Uh, we, we're creating a model for really, I think, what a free society should be. Yes, freedom for you to not be constrained by government. All conservatives have always believed yeah. in that. But also freedom for you to live your life without having the pathologies of the left imposed upon you Correct. from all the other institutions in society. And, and maybe that's a woke corporation. Maybe that's Soros funds a DA in your community, and then this DA says he's not enforcing the law, putting you and your family at risk. We had a Soros DA in Tampa that said he was going to force the law. I removed him from office and he's litigating, but I'm winning the cases. And, you know, you just have to recognize that the threats to freedom are more than just whether someone's going to come in and raise your taxes or, or pass a bad piece of legislation. So I think Florida, we're fighting full spectrum. I think more conservatives now across the country are recognizing that we need to fight full spectrum. I mean, this Disney thing, you know, that I had. There's some people on the proverbial right who have criticized uh, me, but I'll tell you, uh, the people are with me on this one because they understand why are you going to have a situation where you have a company that's been given its own government, all these state subsidies, privileges over decades, and then they're going to do woke activism against your parents and your students. We're subsidizing our own opposition. Are you kidding me? So we said the ball game's over and we got rid of their self-governing status. That's not a perversion of the free no. market. That's the perversion, a... honestly, with the perversion 
was the original deal exactly. with Walt. Of course. Yeah. Um, um, I, I just released some information on um, the, what are they calling it? The uh, Inflation Reduction Act. It's actually the Build Back Better Act. And we have pieced pieces together um, that show that we are now paying 150% of your profit. If you have a coal fire plant, 150% of your profit for the next 10 years, if you will not only shut that power plant down, but then you only get the money if you sell it or dismantle it. Okay. We, I read another study just this morning that shows that uh, we have uh the projection is that we will be short by 25% power um, from what we have now. If you, are, you already know that they're shutting them down and then you take away those plants so you can't recreate that power. And I'm not going to ask you to comment on this. I, I personally, I think that's the closest thing I've actually seen to treason. You are dismantling the ability for America to survive because you have a global warming scheme and you are taking billions and billions of dollars and incentivizing people. We're doing to our power what we are now, what we used to do to our farmers and still are doing to our farmers. And I think that it allows them to control us. I mean, that's what they want to do. Uh, How stupid can you be to try to neuter our own ability to produce our own reliable energy? But they're doing it. No, I know. But I mean, the the question is, is how does that make our country stronger to be relying on? And and here's the thing. Biden will not want it done here. He'll go beg Maduro for oil. He'll go beg other people for oil. You know, everything we produce in terms of fossil fuels is so much. It's done so much cleaner here than it is in these other countries. Are you kidding me? So it, it, it's all it's all for them to exert more control over us. That's what all this is about. And, you know, the good thing about it is, is that, you know, some of this stuff can be um, I think can be remedied through changing some of the bureaucratic rules, because there's a lot of people that out there in these industries that really want to get going again. Uh, but they just can't under the current circumstances. Texas is thinking about making it uh, their own bank just for energy. Yeah. And Florida, look. I have inve- private investor-owned utilities, so like you know, they, they have, they're on, they have investors that they, so they have to make money, and and I have some that are doing more solar. No, we don't have subsidies or anything like that. They're doing it, and it, it's economical in certain situations. I fine. have solar on my house. Yeah, fine, like, it's fine. But here's the thing: don't force me to do it. When I had Hurricane Ian come through, mm. you know, we had millions of people knocked out of power. We did the, the we had fifty-two thousand linemen get it restored, lar- largest restoration, fastest in, in history. I needed oil and gas. Like, I, you know, I just wasn't. The wind and the solar were not going to get those people going again. Yes. You had to have it. We actually had some people who had the, the electric cars, and some of them were catching on fire because of the salt water and all that stuff. But if you can't charge it, then you're, you're having that tank of gas in your truck or your car can mean everything. So we are not going to be without fossil fuels in our lifetime. And if we try to go without fossil fuels in our lifetime, you are going to see the, the standard of living plummet. Uh, you're going to see our security plummet and it's going to be a disaster you have some of the biggest ranches and farms in your yeah in your state uh what about fertilizer we, we, we produce fertilizer, actually. You know, we have some of the bigger uh, fertilizer uh, companies and, um, you know, some of these ESG, they're targeting that. I know. How the hell are you going to feed people, Glenn, without fertilizer? I mean, I like, know. You, you know, you need it. Yeah. And, and we've dealt with issues because, you know, on the farms or whatever, if it rains, you know, there'll be runoff. It goes in. We have Big Lake Okeechobee. You know, it can create like algae. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to deal with it. So we've done stuff to clean the lake. We've created reservoirs to clean the water and we're restoring the Everglades. We just had to put some love into it, but we're doing it all. Uh, the left really wanted to, uh, to to target the fertilizer because they think it's, it's so dirty, but it's like you need this to be able to have a I think society. I think there's a lot of people, though, unfortunately, I mean, James Cameron just came out and uh, said, uh, oh, what was the, oh shoot, what was the Marvel comic guy that had all of the stones? I'm sorry, you probably don't even know this, that you know, evaporated. It just took and disintegrated 50% of the universe's population. And James Cameron said, 
I mean, nobody wants to really do that, but that's not a bad idea. The le- there's a strain there's, of the left that thinks there's too many people oh, on this so planet dangerous. and they want to see. And it's totally wrong. I mean, like, you know, we have the, we need more people. We need bigger families in the United States. Yes. I mean, if you really want to do that's the truth. Right. So, so but but it, it really leads to some very, very ugly things in terms of what they would do in terms of policy. So let me let me. We'll leave you with this because the last few chapters you talk about, you know, playing offense, not defense. Um, You talk about make America Florida. Um, To get there, we have to have, and I haven't seen them. We have to have somebody who not only can do it, but can stand in like John F. Kennedy and say, we're going there. And we do it because it's hard. But that's what we do. We need a vision and an unum again. Uh, e pluribus unum. What is it that brings us all together? What is the vision for the future? I think in Florida, what we've done is, you know, we've articulated what a free society means in the 21st century. So, yes, being a protected against government overreach, also being protected against big tech censorship, big tech overreach, some of the corporate discrimination that we see. What you own a gun store and you're not going to have access right. to be able to, to, to have capital or any of that. Making sure you have access to an education that's not going to impose an agenda on your students. We've worked very hard to do that. Uh, so I think what we're doing is we're protecting the individual space to be able to make the most of their lives on own lives on their own terms without having to play uh, on the playground of the left. Uh, and we've really insulated our folks from that. So I think looking forward, like if you look at nationwide, you know, we've got very politicized elites that are not popular with the public. What they're selling is not popular. That's why they have have a lot of, they have a lot of cultural cachet. They've got a lot of political cachet. And I think in Florida, what we've shown is, you know, you can beat the elites uh, and you can win victories for people. And ultimately that's what's going to do. This ruling class is going to need to be deposed. um, And you're going to have to have uh, strong leaders, not just whoever's the president, but I mean, you need patriotic Americans across this country that may be willing to go to Washington for two to four years to serve maybe in the mid-level of the bureaucracy, because unless we have people that have that mindset, then, you know, it's not all going to work anyways. And so I, I think people get it. I think and I've had people come up to me saying, like, look. I'm doing well. I'm willing to put that on hold to come help in oh, whatever yeah. way. And I think people see that because for too long, you know, we I think we've kind of just hoped that things would, would get better and uh, maybe you win an election or something. I think people realize the problems are a little bit more profound. Ron, thank you very much. Thank you. Just a reminder. I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people.